Okay, brothers and sisters, praises be to our loving Abba that we are gathered once again to study the words of God. So today we're going to continue with our study of the book of Numbers. We are in Numbers chapter 21. We left off with the end of the generation, the beginning of a new one. Sadly, it also marked the time of certain deaths, the death of Aaron, the death of Miriam, and also the disqualification of Moses in leading the people of God to the promised land. And so we are on the verge now of the people of Israel entering the land of promise. And so what happens next? Let's read what it says in the book of Numbers 21, verse 1. Now, when the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Remember, the people of Israel, through Moses, they sent messengers to Edom, right? Because they were asking permission to go through their land to occupy the promised land. But Edomite said, no, if you do that, we're going to attack you. And so perhaps this message kind of leaked out. Other nations, other kingdoms in Canaan heard about the coming of Israel. And so they began to prepare themselves. One of them was the Canaanite king of Arad. And so perhaps he was concerned about the people of Israel. So he launched a surprise attack. He attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. So that we can have an idea of these certain places. Let's look at a map. And so if you still remember, last off, we were in Mount Hor. That is where Aaron died and was buried. And where is that on this map? Where are you? There it is, Mount War. It is highlighted in yellow. And so Negev is towards uh, the west right there. And that is the place where the Canaanites attacked Israel and captured some of them. So the Canaanite king of Aaron, who lived in the Negev, attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. So, so far, not a promising start for the new generation of the people of God. And so they have the go signal again to capture or to own, to occupy the promised land. However, they were defeated. This was a setback. Perhaps some of us are familiar with setbacks, right? I mean, as human beings, we have plans, we have goals, we have dreams, but every once in a while, we go through a setback where we find failure in our life. If we were to ask you the following question, what would you do if you suffered a setback? What would your answer be? Perhaps we're going to say, I'm going to pray to God. Is that how you would respond? For example, you had a plan, you want to finish college, maybe you want to start a business, and you had a setback. When we have a setback, automatically our brain tells us, our heart tells us we need to go to Abba. We need to go to God and pray to Him right? Well, is that what the people of Israel did? Actually, they did something even better. You know what they did? Let's read the book of Numbers 21, 2. Then the Israelites made a vow, a vow to Yahuwah. If you will let us conquer these people, we will unconditionally dedicate them and their cities to you and will destroy them. So what did the people of Israel do? when they suffered a minor defeat at the hands of the Canaanites. Yes, they prayed to Abba, but they did more than that. What did they do? They showed to Abba their commitment. They showed Yahuwah God that they truly want to occupy the promised land. And so they made a vow to Yahuwah our God. Is it good to make a vow? It depends. If your purpose is to actually do it, right, then it's good to make a vow, to dedicate ourselves, to commit ourselves into doing what Yahuwah God wants. Because a lot of times when people have pursuits, they don't have commitment. When you don't have commitment and you're pursuing a certain goal, with a lack of commitment, the first sign of problems, when there's a hurdle or obstacle of any kind, immediately, what are you going to do? You're going to quit. And this is why when we have a pursuit of any kind, it must begin with commitment. Commitment calls for a vow. The people of God decided we need to make a vow to Yahuwah. They make a promise if Yahuwah God will help them conquer 
these Canaanites, they will dedicate their cities to Yahuwah and destroy the people there. You might be saying, is God approving the destruction of these people? Yes. You might be thinking, Yahuwah, God must be a harsh God. We have to remember the people in Canaan, they were practicing heinous acts against their fellow human beings and also against God himself. As a matter of fact, this was already foretold long ago in the time of Genesis. If you still remember when God was speaking to Abraham through a dream in Genesis 15, 13 and 16, then Yahuwah said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. And so when Abraham was in Canaan, the promised land, Yahuwah appears to him and says to him, this is the land that will be occupied by your descendants. However, this will not happen right away. First, they're going to be enslaved for 400 years. Where was that? Egypt, right? But they're going to come back to this land. They're going to occupy the land. And why is there a wait period of four generations? Because Yahuwah God is giving the people that occupy Canaan, that occupy the, the, the promised land, an opportunity to repent. This is why the sins of the Amorites continues to grow and grow, grow. This is the same thing for the people that occupy all of Canaan, the Canaanites. And so the destruction of these people was warranted by our almighty Yahuwah God because of the judgment that they have brought upon themselves. And so when the people of Israel made a vow to Yahuwah God, what did Yahuwah God say to them? Numbers 21.3, Yahuwah heard them and helped them conquer the Canaanites. So the Israelites completely destroyed them in their cities and named the place Hormah. And so God listened to their prayer. God accepted their vows. And what did Yahuwah do? He helped them conquer the Canaanites. And so we can say this was their first military victory, right? So far, so good. Yahuwah God blessed them and they succeeded. They overthrew the cities and named the place Hormah. If you still remember Hormah, it should lead you back to the first time the people of Israel were in Kadesh. Remember that? In Kadesh, what did Yahuwah God say to the people of Israel? You got to occupy the land. However, they did not want to do that because they were afraid. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And so God said, you're going to perish. You're going to stay here for 38 years so that the new generation, not the old generation, but the new one, will enter the promised land. After God decreed that they are to be punished, to wander in the wilderness, to die off as the years go by, what did some of the Israelites decide to do anyways? If you still remember Numbers 14, 44, 45, yet they still dared to go up into the hill country, even though neither Yahuwah's covenant box nor Moses left the camp. Then the Amalekites... And the Canaanites who lived there attacked and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hormah. And so they failed the last time they tried to occupy the land. And they were defeated and pursued as far as Hormah. This time, at the second, the, the second attempt to take the, uh, the promised land, God is with them. And this time they take the land and they named it Hormah. Ma, so far so good. And so what happened after that? Numbers 21, 4 to 5. The Israelites left Mount Hor by the road that leads to the Gulf of Aquaba in order to go around the territory of Edom. So they're at Mount Hor. Mo, uh, Aaron died there, if you, if you still remember. They're going to enter the, the promised land. What they wanted to do was to go through Edom. But the Edomites, the king of Edom, said, no way. We're, gonna, we're going to attack you. We're going to destroy you and kill you if you do that. 
And so Moses did not deci decided not to go through Edom. And so to be able to go through the promised land, what did they have to do? They have to go around the territory of Edom, which means they have to go to the through a road that leads to the Gulf of Aquaba. You know what that means? If you look at the map, that's where they are in um, Mount Hor, right? And so if they're going to go around the Edomites towards the Gulf of Aquaba, where is the Gulf of Aquaba? They have to go south because the Gulf of Aquaba is towards the south. What does that mean? Well, they have to go backwards. I mean, back then they had no automobiles. They had to walk, they had to journey, they had to trek, right? And so to be able to go around the Edomites, because the Edomites are right there, they had to go backwards, not forward. And so when they were going backward, what happened to them? The Israelites left Mount Hor by the road that leads to the Gulf of Aquaba in order to go around the territory of Edom. And so because they felt they were going backwards, on the way, the people lost their patience. Oh, no. And spoke against God and Moses. They complained, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in this desert where there is no food or water? We can't stand any more of this miserable food. And so what happened to this generation of people? Did they do any better? Did they improve? Unfortunately, no. It's like one step forward like five steps backwards, right? Again, they lost their patience and they complained against God. Always keep that in mind. Brethren, sometimes in our journey, there's a tendency to become impatient. We need to be watchful of ourselves because when a person becomes impatient, they begin to complain. They complain against people. They complain against God, the people of Israel, because, you know, they've been traveling for a long time and they have to go backwards instead of forward. So they're losing out on time. They began to speak against God and Moses. They complain. But this time around, I think it might be worse. You know why? Do you still remember when the people of God complained before? On several occasions, right? Too many to count. For example, in Exodus 15, 24, they complained because they had no water to drink in Marah. What else did they complain? Exodus 16, they complained about Moses and Aaron because they had no meat to eat. Remember that? And then in Exodus 17, they complained against Moses again about water. And then in, X, in Numbers 20, they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. This is their second Kadesh. They, they, complained, they also complained they had no water to drink. And so we can see a pattern here, right? That the people of God, they like to what? Complain. At the first sign of any problem or inconvenience, they have a tendency to complain. This time, this time, their complaint took on a different level. Did you notice what the difference was? These were the past complaints. This is the present complaint. Do you see the difference? What's the difference? Yeah. In the previous complaints, they all complained against Moses, 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 right? This time they spoke against who? God. Perhaps those who spoke against God here were the remaining older generation of people. Maybe. We don't know that. What we do know is this. At this point, when you expect better from the people of Israel, instead of learning from the past, they repeated the past and even got worse. Not only did they speak against Moses, they spoke against who? Yahuwah God. That is not a way to begin the new generation. And so Yahuwah God he has to do something to change the hearts of the people, right? And what do you think Yahuwah God did? Numbers 21, verse 6, Then Yahuwah sent poisonous snakes among the people, and many Israelites were bitten and died. In some translations, the New King James, it, it renders it as uh, fiery serpents, right? Poisonous snakes. Yahuwah sends, and what happened to many Israelites? They were bitten and they died. 
And so what happened after the poisonous snakes began biting and killing many of the Israelites, Numbers 21, verse 7, then people, the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against Yahuwah and against you. Now pray to Yahuwah to take these snakes away. So Moses prayed for the people. It's a good thing, the people of Israel, who were quick to complain against Yahuwah God, they were also quick to repent to Yahuwah our God. They saw their sins, and they went to Moses and said, pray for us. We confess. We sinned against Yahuwah. We sinned against Yahuwah. We sinned against you. I guess sometimes poisonous snakes can be effective. <laughs> it really caused them to repent. You know, brethren, sometimes in life, sometimes bad things happen to us. It could be. I'm not saying it is because we're often tested in our faith, right? But you know, when we suffer any kind of misfortune in life, I think it would be beneficial for all of us to kind of see, to kind of see that as a, maybe a poison snake. Maybe Yahuwah God wants to teach us something. This is why it's always good, especially towards the end of the year, that we examine our life, look at our failures, look at our successes, and ask ourselves, what does Yahuwah God want to teach me? No matter what happens to us, though, it's always best that we repent, that we go to God and confess our sins, our shortcomings, because always Yahuwah God will respond. Here we can see the depths by which the people of Israel fell because they spoke against Yahuwah God directly. And so they were at the lowest of lows. But will God still be merciful? Actually, yes. The people of Israel did not deserve this. But Yahuwah God was merciful. What's the proof? After Moses prayed, what did Yahuwah God say to him? Numbers 21, 8 to 9. Then Yahuwah told Moses to make a metal snake and put it on a pole so that anyone who was bitten could look at it and be healed. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who had been bitten would look at the bronze snake and be healed. Very unusual for Yahuwah God to prescribe a bronze snake for the healing of the people of Israel who rebelled against him, right? And so what does Moses do? He makes a metal snake and he puts it on a pole. Can you imagine that? Makes a metal snake and puts it on a pole. And the snake is made of what? Bronze. And so when people look at the bronze snake, they are healed. And so the people were healed of the poison. They were healed of the sickness. It turns out this bronze snake on a pole is a popular symbol. Because you might be thinking, is Yahuwah God, did he like instruct the people of Israel to make an idol? Right? It's not an idol. It's a symbol. And even today, this symbol is widely used. You know by who? The American Medical Association. You notice the symbol of the American Medical Association? It's a snake wrapped around the pole. Have you ever wondered why that was? Why on earth does the American Medical Association use as their emblem a snake wrapped around the pole? Well, it came from this incident with Moses and the people of Israel. Now, when people ask you why this is, now you know the answer, right? But what can we see about this incident? When the people of God rebelled against Moses, they were punished. God sent poisonous snakes. Many perished because of that to show the judgment of God. You know, when we commit sin, God is going to punish us. It's God's judgment, right? However, when we look at God's judgment, for every act of God's judgment, when you go deeper, what do you find? You find mercy. It's always like that. Judgment and mercy. What is the judgment of God? Poisonous snakes. What is the mercy of God? A bronze snake. Why is there always this interplay between judgment and mercy? Why does God judge? Because of Yahuwah's holiness. 
You see, we have to keep in mind certain attributes of our God. God is holy. That's who he is. Because he is holy. What does that mean? He will judge sin. He will not condone sin. He will judge sin. This is why this is a, a part of God's attribute that we need to keep in mind. He will judge sin. However, if some of us are guilty of judgment, if some of us are suffering from God's judgment here on earth and we're being punished, what we have to do is go deeper, right? Don't stay at the surface. Go deeper. Because when you go deeper, you find something. You, got, you find the mercy of God. Why does God always provide mercy, provide mercy even after judgment? It's because of Yahuwah's love. And so whenever we suffer from any of Yahuwah's punishment, if we are being punished right now, for example, go deeper, brethren. When we examine our life for this year, 2020, and we can see that it seems that God is far from us. It seems that God is against us. It seems that God is punishing us. Go deeper. Find the love of God. Because if you go deeper, for sure, you will find the love of God. Yahuwah is holy and Yahuwah is love. Because of his love, he provided the solution to the problem of the poisonous snakes by means of that. Or the po by means of a brazen or a bronze snake well unfortunately even god's blessings can be converted into something that we can consider a sin right it's always the case and so what would eventually happen the book of second kings 18 1 4 in the third year of the reign of hoshea son of elah as king of israel hezekiah son of ahaz became king of judah at the age of 25 and he ruled in jerusalem for 29 years his mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, following the examples of his ancestor, King David. He did what was pleasing to Yahuwah. So he destroyed the pagan places of worship, broke, broke the stone pillars, and cut down the images of the goddess Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze snake that Moses had made, which was called Nehushtan. Up to that time, the people of Israel had burned incense in it. Honor. And so Yahuwah God had Moses create the bronze snake so that they can be healed. What did the people of Israel eventually do with it? They turned it into an idol by calling it a name, Nehushtan, and then they offered incense in its honor. Instead of honoring God, they honored the instrument of God. What do you call that? Idolatry. So even an instrument of God can become what? An idol. This is why Yahuwah God said, I am Yahuwah, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. This is why even a leader, a human leader, whom God is using as an instrument can become an idol. Brethren, we have to learn from the past. We have to give glory to whom glory is due. Who is that? Yahuwah God. Give all of it to God. Don't give any of it to any human leader here on earth. Give all of it to Yahuwah our God. And so we have the people of Israel back with God's favor, right? God is with them again. God is no longer angry. And so what happened to them? Well, the book of Numbers 21, 10 to 13, the Israelites moved on and camped at Oboth. After leaving that place, they camped at the ruins of Abarim in the wilderness east of the Moabite territory. Then they camped in Zered Valley, from there, they moved again and camped on the north side of the Arnon River in the wilderness, which extends into the Amorite territory. The Arnon was the border of the Moabites and Amorites. So the people of Israel, right, they went all over the place and eventually kind of settled at the Ammon River, Armon River, the boundary between Moab and the Amorites. So they, they have traveled considerably. They have moved from place to place. And you notice in the scriptures, as they move from place to place, there's something that's missing. I don't know how long this took, but there's something that's missing as they were traveling. You know what it was? So far, no complaints. Maybe they did learn something from the poisonous snakes. No complaints, right? And as a matter of fact, as they were traveling, where was this journey of Israel documented in? Numbers 21, 14, and 15. For this reason, the book of 
the wars of Yahuwah speaks of the town of Waheb, the areas of Sufa, and the ravines of the Arnon River, and the ravines that extend as far as the settlement of Ar on the border of Moab. There's a book, it's called the Book of the Wars of Yahuwah. Is that a biblical book? It's not in the canon of scripture. However, Moses quotes it. So apparently when Moses was here, there was a book called the Book of the Wars of Yahuwah, and it documents the successful journey of the people of Israel, which is good because not only were there no complaints, in their travels from place to place, they did, they did not complain for water. That seems to be one of their big problems. Seems like they, I don't know, maybe they have finally overcome this problem with water. And because they have no complaints about water, do you know what Yahuwah God does? Let's read Numbers 21. From there, the Israelites traveled to Beer, <laughs> Be'er maybe, which is uh, the well where Yahuwah said to Moses, assemble the people and I will give them water. This tells us that in their travel, they came into a spot where there was no water, right? But they did not complain. So they learned. They did not complain to Moses. And so what does God do? He says, tell Mo he told Moses, assemble the people and I will give them water. There the Israelites sang this song. Instead of complaining, they're now singing praises. You see a change in the hearts of the people of Israel. Spring up, oh well. Yes, sing its praises. Sing of this well, which princes dug, which great leaders hollowed out with their scepters and staffs. And the Israelites left the wilderness and proceeded on through Matana, Nahaliel, and Bamoth. After that, they went to the valley in Moab, where Pisgah Peak overlooks the wasteland. You see the difference? After the incident with the poisonous snakes, they really repented, right? They're not complaining. They're not complaining for water. They're singing praises now of Yahuwah God because of how he provided water for them. And so they keep on with their journey. And eventually, in their journey, they're going to have to do something. What is that? Numbers 21 to 22. Then the people of Israel sent messengers to the Amorite king Sihon to say, let us pass through your land. We and our cattle will not leave the road and go into your fields or vineyards, and we will not drink water from your wells. We will stay on the main road until we are out of your territory. And so just like he asked the Edomites before, he's asking now the Amorites, Paul the Amorite king, people of Israel, the people of Israel sent messengers to him. His name is King Sihon, and he happens to be a famous king. And the Amorites were a famous people. And so Moses acknowledges Sihon says, let us pass through your place. We're not going to go to your fields or vineyards. We're going to stay on the main road until we're out of your territory. What does Sihon say to him? But Sihon would not permit the people of Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered his army and went out to Jahaz in the wilderness and attacked the Israelites. You know why he did that? Because he's famous in battle. Sihon is famous in battle. And uh, the, uh, the Amorites, they were very powerful. And so when the people of Israel was at, were asking permission, he said no, and he went on an offensive. He attacked the people of Israel. But what did Israel do? 24, 26, but the Israelites killed many of the enemy in battle and occupied their land from the Arnon River north of the Jabbok that is to the Ammonites, because the Ammonite border was strongly defended. So the people of Israel captured all the Amorite cities, including Heshbon and all the surrounding towns and settled in them. Heshbon was the capital city of the Amorite king Sihon, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had captured all his lands as far as the Arnon River. And so when the Amorites attacked the people of Israel, what happened? Well, the people of Israel, they conquered the Amorites. They captured the Amorite cities and even captured 
Heshbon. What was Heshbon? It was the capital city of the Amorite king Sihon. And how they were able to get Heshbon is by conquering the king of Moab. This is why this Amorite king and the Amorites were famous. In fact, they were so famous, there was poetry written about them. Moses even cites that. It's funny. Numbers 21, 27 to 30. Therefore, the ancient poets wrote this about him, about Sihon. Come to Heshbon and let it be rebuilt. Let the city of Sihon be restored. A fire flamed forth from Heshbon, a blaze from the city of Sihon. It burned the city of Ar in Moab. It destroyed the rulers of the Arnon Heights. What sorrow awaits you, O people of Moab? You are finished, O worshipers of Chemosh. Chemosh has left his sons as refugees, his daughters as captives of Sihon, the Amorite king. We have utterly destroyed them from Heshbon to Debon. We have completely wiped them as, out as far away as Nopha and Mediba. So here's Moses. He's telling, he's writing about the Amorites and telling how great they were because the ancient poets wrote about them, right? And why did Moses remind his readers about the, the power and the clout of Sihon and the Amorites? Because in 31:32, so the people of Israel settled in the territory of the Amorites. And Moses sent men to find the best way to attack the, the city of Jazer. The Israelites captured it and surrounding towns and drove out the Amorites living there. And so he put them up in a pedestal to show that the, 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 uh, this, con this conquering, this uh, victory of the Israelites over the Amorites, that was a big thing. It was a grand victory because the ones they conquered were people so famous, the ancient poets wrote about them. And so what does this show us? It shows us that Yahuwah God is with who? The people of Israel. And so they had their first major victory. But always keep in mind, in a journey, in a journey like we are on right now, we will have victories, yes. But one victory doesn't mean we have completed our purpose. The Israelites are far from finished. And so sure enough, after the Amorites were conquered, who shows up as a next enemy? Let's read Numbers 21, 33, 35. Then the Israelites turned and took the road to Bashan, and King Og, sounds ferocious, doesn't it? King Og of Bashan marched out with his army to attack them at Edrei. Yahuwah said to Moses, do not be afraid of him. I will give you victory over him, all his people and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, the Amorite king who ruled at Heshbon. So the Israelites killed Og, his sons, and all his people, leaving no survivors. And then they occupied this, his land. And so one victory after another, two major great victories scored up for the people of Israel. Who provided them victory? Yahuwah, who said to Moses, do not be afraid. Those are sweet words from Yahuwah. When God tells us, do not be afraid because I am with you. Brethren, it doesn't matter what battles we're in. It doesn't matter what kingdoms we're up against. If Yahuwah God is with us, who can be against us? Two victories for the people of Israel. It seems then that after the bronze snake incident, things are going for the good, right, of the people of Israel. Successfully journeyed through the wilderness. They stopped complaining. They even started singing praise. Two grand victories. So what we can see, that incident where they were at the lowest of lows because they rebelled against God himself, spoke against Yahuwah himself. But even then, at their depths of depth, right? Even then, Yahuwah God showed his mercy. And from there, there was a turning point for the people of Israel. Perhaps from this turning point, they will soon conquer the promised land and occupy it. But this turning point kind of started with that bronze or the bronze snake, right? And so I want to just go back at that bronze snake and look into the instruction that was given to the people who were bitten by snakes so that they can be healed. In Numbers 21, and Yahuwah told Moses to make a metal snake and put it on a pole so that anyone who was bitten could look at it 
and be healed. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who had been bitten would look at the bronze snake and be healed. And so what was the instruction? Was it to touch it? No. Was it to take a picture with it? No camera back then. What was it? What was the only instruction? All you got to do is look at it. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just look at it. That's it. That's all I have to do. Nothing else. Just look at it. Yeah. And so when they looked at it, the bronze snake, what happened to them? They healed. It was a miracle. Something as simple as looking at something. See, sometimes, brethren, we have to understand when it comes to faith, it can be that simple. Look at the snake. It sounds familiar because before when they were thirsting for water, what did, what did God say to Moses? Just speak to the rock. Here, look at the bronze snake. Here, speak to the rock. The rock mentioned there was a type of who? Yahusha. It was pointing forward by faith to Yahusha HaMashiach. Well, what about the bronze snake? Does that also point to Yahusha HaMashiach? What do you think? Yes, no, maybe, could be. Well, how do we know? How can we find out? We have to check scriptures. The book of John, uh, 14 to 15. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Back then, all you need to do was look at it, right? Today, what do you need to do? Believe. Have faith in who? The Son of Man. And so the bronze snake was also pointing forward to who? Yahusha HaMashiach. In the same way Moses raised up, lifted up the bronze snake on a pole. Yahusha says, time will come when I must also be lifted up. How was he lifted up? How was Yahusha lifted up? On a cross, right? He was lifted up. He was hung on a cross. And so we can see that the snake on the pole, the bronze snake on the pole was pointing to Yahusha on a cross. But why bronze? And why snake? Right? Why bronze? If you still remember the tabernacle, the tabernacle had a tent and also had an outer courtyard, right? In the tent where you feel the presence of Yahuwah God, you have utensils there. And outside the tent, you also have utensils. What do you notice about the utensils in the holy place and most holy place inside the tent? And the utensils outside the tent. What do you notice? The utensils inside the tent. Made of what? Huh? Gold. Well, how about those uh, the utensils outside the tent? Bronze. Notice that? Right? Inside the veil, inside the tent, the holy of holies, made of gold. Altar of incense, made of gold. Table of showbread, made of gold. The golden lampstand, made of gold. But outside, the bronze laver, made of bronze. This is the basin of water. The altar of burnt offering, where offerings are given, are made. It's made of bronze. It's brazen. Brazen means made of bronze. So outside the tent, bronze. Inside the tent, gold. The presence of God represents what? Gold. But to get to the presence of God, you go through the bronze first. What do you do in the altar of burnt offering? You make a sacrifice there. That's where you burn the sacrifice, right? That's where blood is poured. And so what does that tell you? Bronze is being used to purge sin, to cover for sin. And then the, the bronze laver, you, the, the, the priest would wash their hands. 
And so the bronze represented for redemption, atonement for sin, and cleansing of sin. So that once they have done that, they can enter the Holy of Holies, right? And then it changes. The utensils becomes gold because it represents the blessing and presence of God. So bronze, why don't you think about this? Bronze is where Yahuwah God's judgment deals with sin so that we can enter the pure and holy presence of God. And so the bronze snake, its purpose is to show that Yahuwah God has dealt with sin with his judgment. And this is why Yahusha is represented by bronze and a snake. Why a snake? Well, what comes to mind when you think of snake? The devil. It represents what? The devil, sin, evil. Well, why is Yahusha likened to that? Why would he be like a bronze serpent? Well, because in the plan of Yahuwah God, what would have to happen? Corinthians 5.21, for he, Yahuwah God, made him, Yahusha, the king, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Yahusha is to become what? Sin. To die on the cross. And when he died on the cross, Apostle Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Not only that, having become a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So Yahusha not only paid for our sins, he became a curse for us. That's why he, he is depicted as a snake. Snake represents what? The curse, which began all the way in the Garden of Eden. And so Yahushua was represented as a bronze serpent to show that in the future, Yahuwah God will provide judgment for sin through Yahusha the Christ, so that we can be put right with Yahuwah Abba. This is why those who were looking at the bronze snake, they were looking into the future by faith and claiming by faith. Because back then, this hasn't been fulfilled yet. Yahushua hasn't been on the cross yet and died on the cross. But by faith, they benefited. Even if the event that was suggested by the bronze snake is to take place centuries later. By faith, it's like, by faith is able to reach to the future and get the blessing. You know, See, that's what faith does. Faith can do wonders. It's beyond space and time. Faith is beyond space and time. And so here is the beauty of the bronze serpent that represents the judgment of God through Yahusha so that we can become the sons and daughters of our God. Isn't that beautiful? This is why brothers and sisters, let us look at the bronze snake and let us speak to the rock. Of course, we're not saying you're going to make a bronze snake. No. What that means is simply this. Romans 10, 9 to 11. And if you confess with your mouth, Yahushua Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now we have that complete. Right? Because you confess with your mouth, you speak to it. You believe in your heart, you look at it. That's what it means to look into it. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, we have Yahusha. There's no reason for us to be afraid. I know a lot of people now are kind of hesitant to enter another year. I mean, who just survived this year 2020? And it was a tough one, wasn't it? And now we're going to go to 2021? What's going to happen in 2021? A lot of people in the Philippines are terrified because earthquakes, one after the other, has rocked that archipelago. And so a lot of people, what's going to happen in 2021? Brethren, I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. But what we know is this. It doesn't matter. What matters is this. We must put our trust in who? 
Yahusha. Look into Yahusha. This is why, this is what the apostles instruct us. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Yahusha, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Brothers and sisters, doesn't matter what year we're on. Yahuwah expects us to run the race with endurance. God has set it before us. He has work for us to do. Just like in our journey here on earth, we're going to face many obstacles. We're going to face many problems. But we can endure it all. How? What is the key to endurance? Keep your eyes. Keep your eyes fixed. Keep your eyes on Yahushua. Why? He is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Once he was on a cross. Now he is at the right hand of Abba. Right now we're going through difficult times. But soon we will be where Yahusha is at if we will trust him and keep our eyes fixed on our king. Not only should we fix our eyes on our king, there's also someone to whom we must look into, especially during these last days. Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Isaiah 45, 22. Look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. This is why we have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be concerned. No matter what happens in our journey, always keep in mind we're just journeying through earth. Our final destination is not anywhere here on earth. It is in the kingdom of heaven. And so what must we do, especially as we prepare for salvation? God is the one speaking here. And he's speaking to those who are from the ends of the earth. And Yahuwah God says, look to me, look to me and be saved. Brethren, there's a reason why Yahuwah God, there's a reason why Yahushua HaMashiach commands us to look to Abba, to look to his son. You see, when we look at ourselves, when we look at our circumstances, when we look at this world, we will be discouraged. But if we will look at Abba, if we will look at our King, Yahusha HaMashiach, we will be encouraged. Do not look at your problems from your point of view. Look at it from the eyes of Abba. Look at it from the eyes of his son. When you look at it from that perspective, we gain courage. And we find that zeal to endure, to go on. This is why, brethren, every single day in our life, begin our days in our life by going to our loving Abba and saying to Yahuwah, our God, thank you. Without you, I will not be here. And Yahuwah God will tell us, I am God, there is no other. Look to me and be saved. No one, no one who has ever, ever placed their trust in Abba has met with failure. Even if, even if they have failed in the past. Always keep in mind what we've learned today, brethren. When you go deeper than judgment, you're going to find the love of Abba. He's waiting for all of us to look to him because to look to him means to go deeper. God wants us to go deeper. God wants us to reach deeper and find the mercy and love of Yahuwah God, which he has proven to us and shown to us when he gave up his son while we were still sinners. Because loving our loving Abba loves each and every one of us. It is with that spirit that we will honor God this coming Saturday. We will show to our God, what he means to us. And we will appreciate what he has done for us. His unfailing love that we can become his sons and daughters in these last days. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray.
Loving Father. Yes, Lord. Yahuwah our God. Yes, Lord. We look up to you. Yes, Father. We affix our eyes of faith. Amen. Upon your face. Yes, Father. Holy God. Creator of all things. Yes, who knows the past, the present, and the future all at once. Amen. For you are eternal. Yes, and know all things about us, Amen. about this life, about that which is to come. Amen. We hold you such high honor. Yes, your people assembled now yes. from different places across the world. Yes, we assemble by faith. Yes. To tell you right now, yes. more than anyone, yes. more than anything, it is you that we truly love. Amen. Long ago, you provided so many things. You have announced your plan of mercy yes. to those who do not deserve them. We surely do not deserve your love. Yes, but Father, every single day, yes, it is what we feel. It is what we see. Yes, and so, Father, we vow to you. Yes, we will assemble ourselves again yes, to worship you, to honor you, Amen. And to love you. Amen. Permit us to reach that day yes, to praise you yes, to honor you once again. Amen. Yahushua, our King. Yes. Thank you for your leadership. Yes, oh Lord. We have no executive leader here on earth. Yes. That's because we have decided to fix our eyes on you. Yes. The initiator and champion of our faith. Yes. Thank you for dying for us. Yes. As you hung on the cross, you were thinking of us. Yes, oh Lord. And now you sit at the right hand of Abba. Amen. How we long to be with you. Yes. So we can thank you personally. Yes. Face to face. Looking at you. The one who gave up his life for Amen. us. Please accept our thanks. Yes. Bless your servants today. Yes. Heal those who were sick among us. Yes. And increase our faith every day. Amen. Father, thank you for preparing us. Yes. For the great day of our salvation. Yes. Help us to do our best. Yes. To properly represent you to all the people. Yes. That we will be worthy to bear your name. Yahuwah. Yes. What a wonderful name that is. Who are we to bear that name? Yes. Please help us to do our best. To proclaim you and your name. Yes. To honor you and exalt you forever. Amen. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Amen.